Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. This is the Dogs Program. Good afternoon, listeners. And you are listening to the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. We're here every week at 12, as most of you know, otherwise you wouldn't be listening. And we are here to defend and to promote public education, and it certainly needs defending and uh, promoting. Public education, of course, is free, secular and compulsory. And uh, we also, because we don't, we believe in public education, genuine public education, which is open to all children. We cannot agree to taxpayers' money going to schools which select children on the basis of any requirement. And uh, for that reason, we oppose private schools or the funding of private schools. Private schools, of course, should be private. They should be privately funded. And uh, in a a democracy, they should be free to be privately funded, but uh, not publicly funded. Now, we have a website at www.adogs.info if you want to find out more about us. And we have a press release, 735. We're up to 735 because actually I think it goes right back if you go into the archives on the website to 1998. So you can really find out quite a bit about us on our website at www.adogs.info. And this is our press release 735. Changes to school funding legislation are dividing the Catholic and independent sectors. In the 1960s, state aid to private schools was reintroduced after an 80-year break. And by the way, during that break, the public system did very well. And this state aid was uh, reintroduced because of an unholy alliance between the Protestant and the Catholic clerical hierarchies and school administrators was also reintroduced because the Catholic Party, the DLP, the Democratic Labor Party, uh, got into the balance of power situation in the Senate. And Mr Menzies needed their votes. And later on, Mr Whitlam needed their votes. In Victoria, the Catholic Education Commission of Victoria, that's the CECV, has just very recently, in the last uh, week or so, broken ranks with the non-Catholic private sector on the issue of funding levels. And it's placed this unholy alliance of the 1960s under strain. So what is going on? Stephen Elder, the Executive Director of the Catholic Education Office in Melbourne, has been spearheading a campaign against the Federal Government's school funding changes. These changes were announced last year 
and they ended what the Federal Education Minister Simon Birmingham said were, and I quote, special deals that gave hundreds of millions of dollars to state-based Catholic education commissions. So the money that's coming through to the state education commissions, which the Save Our Schools people have um, indicated has not been necessarily going to the schools that it's meant to go to, and the dogs have been saying this since, in fact, the 1960s, um, uh, the uh, cover's blown. There's no accountability. Now, in the process, elders omitted the overfunding of over of only 10 Catholic schools but pointed the finger at mainly Protestant schools. Elder wishes to redefine the meaning of Gonski's need. Australian taxpayers have been here many times before, starting with the Schools Commission in 1973. But in the event, all needs policies are very quickly become greeds policies. And the most obvious one, of course, was the needs policy of the Howard years in the 1990s. And these have led to the current gross overfunding, which has been exposed by the DOGS, the Save Our Schools Network and the Public Teacher Unions. Mr Elder and members of his commission are themselves under scrutiny from both state and federal Auditor-Generals for the way they've diverted taxpayer monies intended for so-called disadvantaged schools to new and or wealthy schools and their highly centralised bureaucracy. And listeners, they've been doing this since the 1970s, but it's only just come to the surface because Miss Gillard set up the My School program and the funding Information, such as it is, it's not everything, has come into the internet. Now, Mr Elder's grandstanding is opposed by the so-called independent sector and the central Catholic bureaucracy. So, what's he doing? Is he causing a diversion which has inadvertently led to this division between the sectors? Or is he imitating the banks who realised that the Banking Commission of Inquiry was inevitable and uh, made sure that they got to work on the terms of reference? And is he hoping to influence the Birmingham Schools Resourcing Board before it really gets going? Now, Dr Jeff Newcomb, who's the Chief Executive of the Association of Independent Schools of New South Wales, said that the Catholic Education Commission's Victoria's assertion that top-end wealthy schools were entitled to no public funding was a, quote, profound shift in philosophy for some Catholic education authorities. What's behind the Victorian Catholics' comment, I think, very much, he said, is to try and curry favour with the Labor opposition. I think that's their aim. They're putting all their eggs into that basket, hoping that the government will change, and then, of course, they'll get what they want. They also seem to be trying to convince the opposition that they should take money from independent schools and give it to the Catholic system schools. Now, the Executive Director of the Independent Schools Council of Victoria, sorry, of Australia, a lady called Colette Coleman, said that the Catholic sector's push for private school means testing suggested that all non-government schools should just charge minimal fees and costs shift the bulk of their costs to the taxpayer. Clearly, fees charged are not a measure of parental capacity to pay, Ms Coleman said. But the National Catholic Education Commission, 
these are the big guys in Canberra, the real lobbyists, tried to paper over the cracks between the two sectors. They issued a statement saying that all schools should receive some level of government funding and the central group, the NCEC, Acting Executive Director Ray Collins, said that the sector was prepared to work with the National Schools Resourcing Board. Now, this Mr Collins is a new boy on the block, and he's not been there very long. But listen to this. He stepped into the Chief Executive's role at the Central Catholic Education Office in Canberra, the National Catholic Education Office, after the formal Federal Labor MP Christian Zahra stepped down early this year for family reasons. So the Labor Party and the Catholic Education Office are um, very closely entwined, aren't they? And they always have been, but the trouble is, of course, that both parties have got um, very powerful uh, Catholic connections in them these days, as we can see from Tony Abbott. Now, Senator Birmingham has not yet seen Mr Elder's report, but he's issued a statement, and of course he's in a very good position because he can divide and rule amongst them now, can't he? I urge the CECV, he said, to constructively engage in the independent review they called for that's examining possible enhancements to the funding model and which currently provides an extra $3.5 billion for Catholic schools. So Mr Elder wants a bit more. He wants another $750 million, uh, or else he just wants to uh, cut off all of the uh, criticism before it really starts. I just don't know. Dogs could tell Mr Birmingham that the Catholic sector never has been and never will be and never is satisfied. So he shouldn't have bothered giving them any more money. Meanwhile, it'll be interesting to see how the Labor Party reacts. Just watch Tanya Plibersek, who is um, a very, very good uh, representative of the Catholic education sector. Now, what the CECV report says, what are they actually saying? So the dogs have um, quoted really from the report, uh, according to the ABC, the report by the Catholic Education Commission of Victoria analyses a complex array of published data in the same way I suggest that they've taken, lifted out some of the work that's been done by Save Our Schools to estimate the school wealth and they've concluded that taxpayers are pouring an extra $747 million each year into the coffers of almost 200 private schools that don't need it under the government's own test of need. But they're not dealing, of course, with a large number of parish Catholic schools that are also overfunded, uh, much more so. They're getting a lot more money, in fact, just in direct grants alone, than the local public school. Now, he doesn't deal with those, uh, but Save Our Schools have dealt with those, haven't they? Only the, big, only the big boys, the Scotch Colleges and the Wesley Colleges. And the report is titled, The Need to Rethink Need. Oh, yes, dogs agree with that, <laughs> because needs have long since become greeds as far as these people are concerned. How, and the other part of the title is How the Gonski Review Got It Wrong on Funding Non-Government Schools. And they are questioning the dubious measurements of school need. Well, there have been dubious measure, measurements of school need 
since the very beginning, back in 1973, we can tell listeners, because we were there, there was a hit list of schools. They were labelled A, Category A, and there was a scream from the wealthy schools as soon as they were Category A. One would have thought they would have been... uh, think it was pretty good to be Category A. Oh, no, because Category A meant that they might lose, in those days, just a few thousand of public money. And uh, Mr Beasley, who at that time was the Minister for Education, so that he could get his Schools Commission through and actually set up a Schools Commission, he buckled. And such a lot of Category A's became Category B's and C's and got their money. So it's been going on from the word go. And Mr Beasley, who is the father of the Beasley that most people see on the television speaking about America, uh, he was the Minister for Defence, but he was also the Minister for Education in those days, back in the Whitlam days. So... They're prepared to say that 200 non-government schools are, are, that raise all of the funding their students are estimated to need from private sources, mostly schools' fees. So they claim that they don't really need any, any money at all. So that money, according to Elder, can come over to the poor little parish Catholic schools. Now, what, what are these schools? There's Canberra Grammar, there's Sydney Grammar, Knox Grammar, Melbourne's Wesley College and Haleybury College. In Queensland, there's Brisbane Grammar and the Southport School. And in South Australia, it's St Peter's College and the Westminster School. Scotch College in Perth and the Friends School in Hobart. So how much are they getting in, in private income? Knox Grammar, in private income, is getting $70.2 million. The resource standard should be, according to the CECV, 30.5. So they're 39.7 million over what they need. Sydney Grammar, uh, in private income, bring, brings in 45.2. And uh, they only need 17.4. So they're 27.9 million overfunded. And so it goes on. Haleybury College in Victoria brings in 63.1 million. They've got a number of colleges, and I think they've even got colleges in, in Asia, haven't they? Uh, and they're overfunded 23.1 million. A Brisbane Grammar School are overfunded 11.2 million. They bring in 31.8 million in school private income, and so on and so forth. Scotch College in Western Australia bring in 33 million in private income and they are overfunded 14.2 million, according to Mr Elder. And the Friends School in Tasmania, uh, they bring in 16.6 million in fees, uh, and they're 1 million overfunded. Now, uh, you also find out uh, from this report how the school funding works, and this is interesting too. The Commonwealth contributes 20% of baseline funding for government schools and a maximum of 80% for non-government schools. And state governments allegedly fund 80% of public school students' education and the Commonwealth contributes 20%. Federal funding for non-government schools reduces depending on the school community's capacity to pay for the students' education. 
And this is because there's a current system of socioeconomic status, or SES, which draws on data from an average of 400 households in a census district. So even though all of the wealthy members of a district might go to the private schools, that, one, that private school can in fact have a pretty low SES because most of the people who live in that area are poor even though they, of course, send their children to the public school. So it's a, it is, Elder is right, it is a very strange way of doing things. Now, uh, that uh, way of doing it, according to Elder, quite rightly, is regardless of whether they have school-aged children and um, it examines education, occupation, household income and the income of families with children. And that data is then linked to student residential address data to generate a school SES score. So what Mr Elder wants, obviously, is to influence the Schools Resourcing Board. He wants to get even more money into his um, Catholic schools and he wants that money to come from the wealthy schools. He doesn't want the money to go from the wealthy schools into the public schools that really, really do need it. Uh, and he's unhappy with schools that are charging massive fees and getting into um, ever, ever increasing resources that they think they need. So need, of course, this word need is a very interesting concept indeed. And when you are dealing with people who know how to pay games with uh, taxpayer funding, and the Catholic Church has proved itself very adept at this. It's not long before the needs become greeds. But we'll have a bit of a rest and then we'll have a chat with Robert. Why do you reckon people should subscribe to 3CR? Because I think we have more awesome music shows than anywhere else. And they're niche and they're interesting and they're adventurous. VCR, the perfect companion in your car on your road trip. If you're on digital, mm. no tram interference. Mm. But if you're streaming, there's no tram interference. No, that's true. But if you like that's tram correct. interference, is always the AM. The AM, old school. <laughs> oh, like, oh. You know, some people like the crack along vinyl. Well, some, some people like noise music. Experimental mm-hmm, noise music. Mm-hmm. Keeping you company. No matter where you're going or what you're doing, you'll have something interesting in your ear. That's correct. And you can Bluetooth it and you can just stick it right into you. Yeah. <laughs> Is any kind of attachment you want? <laughs> to subscribe to 3CR, unwaged is $35. Yes. yes. Waged? 75 And solidarity? One fifty. One fifty. That's pretty reasonable to help keep 3CR on air. Call 3CR 94198377 and subscribe. Subscribe today. Subscribe now. When I'm on a road trip, I want to take 3CR with me and listen to rock and roll. Well, hello, Robert. I'm sorry that uh, the circumstances are such that we have to get you on the phone from your hospital bed. That's but, right. uh, I'm, I'm the doctor's raving reporter this week. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. It's really interesting in this last week. The ABC, but also the Australian, not 
so much the age, but the Australian have run uh, the news that Stephen Elder, the CEC, uh, the, who is, as most people know, the head of the Catholic Education Commission Victoria, uh, has got a report out. Uh, and this report is very interesting because it lists all of the wealthy schools who he claims are overfunded, I think to the tune of about 747 or 750 million. And he thinks uh-huh. that this, this 750 million given to the wealthy schools, most of whom are Protestant, but about 10 of which are Roman Catholic, should be given to his lot to the uh, Catholic education uh, bureaucracies to spend on their schools. What's yep. your take on this? I think it's absolutely fascinating um, because not only is Stephen Elder having a go at the Independent Schools Council of Australia, but Colette Coleman from the Independent Schools Council of Australia is having a go at Stephen Elder. So here on the DOGS program, you'll never hear this again, I'm in complete agreement with Stephen Elder and I'm also in complete agreement with Colette Coleman. I think when Stephen Elder says that, 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 that independent schools are getting too much money, I have to credit him with being correct. <laughs> okay. They are getting too much money. We don't think okay. they should get any money at all. Okay. But too much is at least a start. And so if, if anything is too much, then Stephen Elder and I can agree. Colette Colin, I agree with her because she states quite specifically when she's discussing Catholic Education Office, particularly in Victoria, is the amount of money that is funded for each Catholic school in Australia is not the money that arrives at each Catholic school in Australia. And so, therefore, the government should look very carefully at the potentially corrupt situation that's being involved in that. So I think that is a true statement by Ms Coleman, and I think that's also worth, here on the DOGS program, me agreeing with her. Fair enough, too. <laughs> the thieves are falling out, you'll say. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's exactly what's going on. I mean, I actually want to focus on this because the Catholic Education Office is going to war with the independent schools and people. It's, it's, it's all out war. In fact, Michelle Green, who's the independent school, schools person down here in Victoria, is, is, is strangely, I mean, she's quoted as saying, the chief executive of independent schools Victoria, Michelle Green, that many parents and teachers in the Catholic sector were dismayed about what Mr Elder was saying. <laughs> Michelle Green is lecturing Stephen Elder on what Catholic parents and teachers want him to say. <laughs> she goes on to describe Mr Elder as an extraordinary and ill-advised campaign that seeks to pit one school sector against another. Yeah, well, fair enough. I think that's true, and I'm all for it because both of them shouldn't get any money. So I agree with both of them at the same time. Fascinating, isn't it? Uh, One is reminded perhaps of what happened in the 19th century, although history doesn't repeat itself. Uh, David Hastie, who is the spokesperson in many ways for the Anglican uh, group up in Sydney, and he wants to start not only a proper Anglican system again, but also have a Protestant university, uh, he takes issue with Marion Maddox uh, about what actually happened in the 19th century. And that is a question, it's a historical question. And there's no doubt that when the uh, Protestants and the Catholics fell out, most of the Protestants came into the public system. They decided that the public system was the one for them. 
and only a few of them, genuinely independent, like the Scots College, Geelong College and a few others, uh, stayed out, and the Anglican schools too, some of them in Sydney. Uh, but uh, they all got together in what I call a, an unholy alliance in the 1960s because once the Catholics got a bit of money, the others all got in on the act. But um, this is very interesting because uh, the needs policy has long since become a greeds policy, I believe, and um, the, uh, what we would regard perhaps as the thieves or certainly the corrupt ones are falling out again. So it will... We'll stand by and watch with great interest, won't we, Robert? Well, um, I think it's... Well, personally, I think there's one very interesting thing that's come out of this. And it's that Colette Coleman, who's the Director of Independent Schools Council of Australia, has stated in very categorical ways what the Catholic sector's trying to do. And she states, and I agree with her, she says that the independent... She says this, she says that the Catholic sector's push... A private school means testing, which is what this is all about. It's saying if you've got a lot of money, then you don't need government money. It's suggesting that all non-government schools should just charge minimal fees and cost shift the bulk of their costs to the taxpayer. Hmm. Now, that's what the Catholic system has been doing all of this time, and the independent school system is trying to mimic, and now they're fighting amongst each other. Hmm. But behind this is the fact that Stephen Elder has got to the point that he's believed his own hype. He believes that Catholic schools are just state schools with Catholic equipment at the front of them, and they should be funded by the government because of this. This is not the truth. Mm -hmm. This is just not true. And Ms Coleman is picking out on it. He's picking out. She's got him on this one. And I would suggest to you, Jane, and maybe we'll report about this in the weeks to come, is that the inquiry in the moment to religious privilege in Australia, the one that Turnbull set up after the after the um, same-sex marriage bill passed, to entrench, if possible, in law or in legislation, religious privilege? Yes, it is religious I privilege, think, no, rather than freedom. I agree with you. Hmm. Yeah. Well, no, to entrench religious privilege so that within the education funding structure, the Catholic system can be privileged with taxpayers' money to fund itself without having to even hide the very fact. Well, it's called having a state within a state, and what he wants to do uh, with the Catholic system is, in fact, what has been done since uh, 1890 in in Ireland, where the only state system in Southern Ireland, on the whole, is uh, the Catholic system. That is the public system. The Catholic... And Colette has called, out, called Stephen Elder out on this. Yeah. And I think that's actually what the fight's going to be about. And the independent schools people are going to, are going to work out what exactly is going on. Because there's a Catholic university that's government-funded. There's a Catholic school system, which is vast in Australia, which is government-funded. And everyone's going to realise, how come they've got it and we don't? Mm. And the Catholic system has said, well, you've got to play the game as well as we do, or you can't play at all. Well, they're saying, of course, that they are the main church and they should be the church, the state church, and that has always been their... Pro- that's been, that actually has been their position in Ireland. I wouldn't go that far. I don't, really, I don't think they really care unless they get their bills paid by me. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't think they really care as long as I'm the one paying their bills. Yeah. 
paying paying um, for them to be exempt from anti-discrimination yes, laws. Yes. Yes. Oh, no, that's, no. That's, that's or, exactly right. Yes. Or so, long as, so long as they are not paying their taxation, that's also the other side of it as well. Mm. You're paying their direct bills and they are not paying their taxation bills. And it comes out to a pretty fair swag uh, for the ordinary people of of this country who don't actually oh. happen to believe in what they believe in, yeah. uh, paying for right. their privilege, yes. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. So anyway, I, I think it's very fascinating and I'm, I'm sure this, will, this, this, is not a, this is not a dead topic. We'll have to deal with this in the weeks to come. Every week on the Doctor Programme we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. State schools are great schools. What's your school for this week? Well, I've been travelling around the countryside in the last week and I've been going a bit north and I went up to King Lake West Primary School. Oh, and, I love um, this little school. It's a lovely school up there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's one of those little happy country schools. And it is a country school. Melbourne hasn't quite got out to King Lake. It's, but it's only 65k from Melbourne and it's just about very little... Well, a lot of people don't know if you live in Melbourne. The Great Dividing Range, just the last little bit, comes down um, just north of Melbourne at King Lake. Um, King Lake's pretty much like great, you know. If you, go, you can go from King Lake and be in mountains all the way up to um, Cape York. And it's a wonderful well, place down there. Well traumatised. Well traumatised after the 2009 fires, but they've come back, haven't that they? That was. That's been one of the. That's that's just one of those things. Um, yep. It's one of those things that defines the whole King Lake story. Mm-hmm. Um, look, this year, things things are just going. It, it's back to it's back to some semblance of happiness. Mm. Um, because it's about the people who stay and then about some more people that moved in after the fires. It's got an enrolment of about 200 kids, so it's a proper size. About 80 of those are girls, about 120 of those are boys, of course. So it's a nice mix. And it's a nice mix of people too. Um, look, I often talk about socioeconomic status. Um, about 60 or so percent of those kids come from the lowest quarters of Australian society. So mm. 28% are in the poorest quarter. Another 33% are in the quarter above that. And so therefore the, the remaining sort of oh, 30 or 40% in the top quartile. Only 10% are in the top quartile. So it's not really poor, it's not really rich, but it's struggling more than otherwise. In terms of average ICSIA values, it's 9.98 instead of 1,000, 1,000, which is the medium for everyone. So how much does it cost? Because everyone's talking about money while we're giving financial advice. How much does it cost you and me, the taxpayers, to educate a kid at King Lace West, West Primary School? Well, there's 200 kids in the school, so it's a small school, and it's in a regional area, not in Melbourne, so you'd expect there'd be a bit of extra loading. And as we say, to educate a kid in a primary school um, would cost, on average, um, around about $13,000 per kid per year. Up at King Lake West... They spend $8,500 per kid. Wow. So if we talk about value for money, the state school, King Lake West Primary School, is providing excellent value for taxpayers' dollars when it comes to educating these kids. But then it comes to how all the kids are doing. We talk about all the assessments and results. And the answer is they're doing fine. Good teachers. Certainly in year three, 
they're well ahead of the game against all similar schools, and they're just fine compared to even the richest schools in the nation. Um, they're doing great. Also, when it comes to counting and stuff, numeracy, they're doing really good work mm-hmm. in Year 3 and in Year 5. And I'll tell you, that will be down to two people in the school, the people who are specialising in math. And those people are getting those kids up and, and, and counting real good. Mm-hmm. Because in small schools, individuals make differences. Oh, they're very good teachers yeah. there. They are. I've heard about them. They are? Yeah. Well, they have to be in those situations. No choice. You cannot survive. Mm. You just cannot survive in a school if you haven't got good teachers. Mm. Now, how many teachers, I suppose, is the question you're asking. How many teachers? There's 14 teachers up there. Mm. So 14 teachers for 200 kids. Mm. So your average class size isn't that large. But... And, and they've got some non-teaching staff as well, and they've got seven of those. Mm. So but seven of those staff, they work the equivalent of about four. And in terms of teaching staff, there's 14 teachers, but in terms of full-time teachers, you're looking at about 11. So a lot of those teachers are from the local area and working part-time and sharing their duties. Um, the 2001 bushfires, of course, devastated the school, actually burnt the school down. <sighs> So everything they're doing has been built from the ground up since 2000. And, of course, the kids that have come to the area and the kids that stayed and the families that stayed and the loss that's happened to the kids in those families up in King Lake. Think of the problems and the issues you would have with the bushfires going through, Mm. teaching and learning English and math to a bunch of kids who've experienced that. And that's what they did. And that's what they are doing. And that's what they continue to do because that's what state schools do. And I happen to know from various other schools up in the year, when the fires went through, um, the people went to the schools. The schools were the places of community sort of strength where everyone came together. And the principals in schools were probably the, some of the most important people back in 2009 in February. Indeed. In fact, it's, it's been nine years now since, since those terrible days. It was the principals of the schools that actually led the community, you know, when, when all went, when all went to hell in a handbasket back in those days. There's many accounts of the principals of the state schools up there being the community leaders that kept everyone together. And to this day, that's exactly what's happening up there. So from a burnt down school nine years ago, those 200 kids this year are just doing really, really well with the dedicated teachers and staff. So this week's great state school is the King Lake West Primary School. Thank you so much, Robert. But anyway, um, because I'm Dobbs' raving reporter, I'm going to keep <laughs> raving, and um, hopefully I'll be back in the studio next week. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions, and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR.
Well, there's some very interesting material that we'd like to now present to you, and Dale has got an article that Ross Gittins wrote uh, in The Age. A very interesting article indeed, because Ross Gittins, like some of us who've been in this business for some time, is a grandfather. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Jean. I've got an article here um, by Ross Gittins entitled The Smartest Way to Spend Taxpayer Dollars. Did I tell you that my grandson, fast approaching his second birthday and not many months away from losing his status as our one and only grandchild, is a budding genius? His educational development is supervised by his father, who, being a doctor, started with identifying parts of the body. My grandson's always been being quizzed and loves showing off how much he knows. Already he can count, provided you don't test him too closely above two or three, and courtesy of play school, he can sing the alphabet song, whether or not he's invited to. He misses no more than a few of the letters and is always careful to sing Z rather than Z. Do I worry about how he'll manage to scratch out a living in the looming, frightening world of robots and artificial intelligence? No, I don't. Not with the parents he's got. For centuries, the great advantage has been seen as inherited wealth. But as The Economist magazine pointed out a few years ago, in the knowledge economy, it's probably just as advantageous, maybe even more, to inherit your intelligence from two highly educated, well-paid, education-conscious and bookish parents. Of course, not every Aussie kid is fortunate enough to is as fortunate as any grandchild of mine. Which is why I worry a lot about the continuing high high school dropout rate. Join the workforce without even a good grasp of the basics and the rest of your working life is likely to be problematic, as mealy-mouthed academics like to say. It's also why I get so annoyed with politicians and treasury and finance econocrats who regard early education as just another of the outstretched hands that must be given something, but never enough to fully exploit its potential to improve our well-being, social as well as economic. The good news is that Simon, Simon Birmingham, Federal Minister for Education and Training, announced over the weekend the government's decision to spend $440 million extending for a year the National Partnership Agreement on universal access by four-year-olds to early childhood education, while federal and state ministers continue negotiating or haggling over a new long-term agreement. The bad news is that when it comes to making sure all children attend preschool, we started much later than the rest of the other rich countries and we aren't catching up nearly as fast as we would be if we had more sense. Our politicians on both sides think their interests are best served by using the limited funds available to placate as many interest groups as possible rather than spending the money where it's likely to yield the most lasting benefit. Our econocrats ought to be encouraging their masters to spend more wisely, but if they are, it's news to me. They seem to think it's their job to disapprove of all extra spending equally. Not working well so far, guys. There are no magic bullets in government spending, but putting money into early education, whether by lifting the quality of childcare or beefing up preschool, 
comes a lot closer than most of the other things the government spend on. We've known it for decades, but the evidence keeps growing. According to the Ontario Early Learning Study, the early years from conception to age six have the most in important influence of any time in the life cycle on brain development and subsequent learning, behaviour and health. Early experiences and stimulating positive interactions with adults and other children are far more important for brain development than previously realised, it says. According to a paper on early childhood education issued last year by Dr Stacey Fox and others of the Mitchell, Mitchell Institute at Victoria University, investing in early learning is a widely accepted approach backed by extensive evidence for governments and families to foster children's development, lay the foundations for future learning and well-being, and reduce downstream expenditure on health, welfare and justice. While all children benefit from high-quality early learning, research shows, also shows that children experiencing higher levels of disadvantage benefit the most and can even catch up to their more advantaged peers, the paper says. In an earlier Mitchell report, Fox says that nearly a quarter of Australian children arrive at school with significant vulnerabilities in their knowledge and communication, their social skills and emotional well-being, or in their physical health. Here's a surprise. A child's risk of being developmentally vulnerable is closely but inversely correlated with their socioeconomic status. After five or six years, we've got close to achieving universal access by four-year-olds to a potential 15 hours a week of preschool. The only state dragging the chain is New South Wales. Yeah, but look at how much bigger its budget surplus is. But kids from disadvantaged homes are less likely to be getting the full 15 hours. And there's strong evidence that two years of preschool, that is starting at three, yields more than twice the benefit. British research shows 16-year-olds who attended at least two years of preschool were three times more likely to take a higher academic pathway after leaving school. It's easier to get kids up to speed in preschool than in any later level of education. Clearly, the smart way to improve the performance of the whole system is to start at the bottom. Make sure we get preschool right and the benefits will flow onto schools, TAFE, and uni. Nah, that's too much trouble. Let's just give ourselves a tax cut. My grandkids will do fine. Oh, thank you so much. So wise in lots of ways, and you might have noticed that the preschool educators, teachers, educators, because that's where the really, the really real teaching goes on. Teaching a child to start to learn to read, to give them the uh, speech and the uh, reading skills is just so important. And everybody, well, it's been proved, there's so, so much research, particularly for Down syndrome children, autistic children, you get them young, you mm. get them even before they go walk inside a school. Uh, yes, early, early, early childhood is just so important and we're falling way behind in Australia. Mm. So thank you very much, uh, for that, Dale, and thanks to Ross Gittins, who is telling people a few home truths. I'd like to go to America. Uh, I'd like to warn people 
about what's happening in America and what could easily happen here when uh, the governments decide, after they've given <coughs> the tax cuts to the big uh, companies and uh, the people aren't earning enough here to pay more income tax or they give income tax to the wealthy in Australia, cuts, um, what then happens to health and, above all, education? In America, you have charter schools, and these charter schools are refusing, like the Catholic education system here, they're private schools that are public schools, they're publicly funded, but they're actually refusing to be accountable because they say they are businesses. You talk about the education industry in Australia. Yes, this is the way forward. Uh, education becomes a business. It takes tax dollars, but it doesn't give back. Uh, and uh, the charters, along with the public schools in, in America, are becoming captives of the tech industry, with online education as being misrepresented as personalised. Dale, across from me here, <laughs> can tell you what she thinks about online education <laughs> at the tertiary level. Mm. And there's been an effort to de-school education altogether by making everything a matter of choice from a menu of options leaving brick-and-mortar schools at the margins. What they're really saying is we don't need the brick-and-mortar anymore because brick-and-mortar and actual teachers in front of classrooms is an expensive option. Among other tools for moving in this direction are per-pupil cost analyses that include proportionate costs of buildings, maintenance, transportation and so on for specific grades, subjects and levels of staffing. And one conclusion is outsourcing music education. Listen to this. Outsourcing music education is cheaper than offering it at school and so too for foreign languages and other courses. So charter schools, excepting for those operating as online schools, are too much like public schools insofar as they require investments in brick and mortar and land. And this is one reason why so many charter operators are actually more attracted to land deals than to education. Even with evidence of massive frauds in the United States, online education is still marketable as the best way to do education reform mm. with the advantage of its being a big cost saver and, in inverted commas, they say that it's personalised. Child, do you want your child sitting in front of a computer all day? Oh, Shocking. Now add to the opportunities of de-schooling education, the proliferation of education dollars that are packaged as scholarships, vouchers, tax deductions and education savings accounts. Amazon is serving as a prototype for thinking about the parent, caregiver, student payments for educational products and services a la carte. Authorised providers would then be listed in menus so purchasers see options and prices for approved products and service providers. We're talking about the education of our children here. Yes, not products. Customers must view recommended interventions for specific students based on big data, prior purchases and the dubious mindset of an artificial intelligence system. <laughs> So just this is the future. washing hands and this of all responsibilities. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? This is the education industry of the future mm. when our children's education becomes the subject for profiteers 
who are scammers. Isn't it sad that anyone should even think of this kind of jargon? It's mind-bog. It's counterintuitive that they come up with this. <laughs> no one's talking about who approves the online catalogue and the surveillance systems required to conjure recommendations. No one's talking about the ways of rigging the whole system, mm. as in, is the case in Ohio's ECOT online scam, mm. or as Facebook and Amazon are known to do for a fee. No one's talking about the convergence of marketing spaces and platforms into one authorised site for spending the money in education savings accounts. Among those websites just shy of fitting the emerging view of click it education is great schools and, that's, and that leases data to Zillow and others and Teach Thought, which pays users of affiliate tech products a fee. Florida... This is actually happening. Florida is rolling out an online payment system for education savings accounts this year. The platform is called My Scholar Shop. My Scholar Shop. Not My Scholar Ship, My Scholar Shop. Yes. And it will resemble Amazon, complete with parent caregiver reviews of the authorised fare. The press release says parents, quote, will simply go online to the pre-approved catalogue and pick it, click it, ship it. The cost will be taken directly from their education savings account and supplies, if ordered, will be delivered to customer provided address. And this project has been in the works with Step Up for Students, the Florida agency that distributes state money earmarked for gardener scholarships for special education. Nearly 10,000 students who are in the autism spectrum disorder, muscular dystrophy, cerebral palsy and spina bifida, who on average are allocated $10,000 each per year. So what kind of real attention and education are these people going to get? The approved services include private school tuition and fees, private tutoring, occupational therapy, instructional materials and other services. And these online people are cashing in. Very interesting uh, what the future may hold for people who want to have an education industry which gives them high profits and very, very interesting and one thinks worrying educational products for the customers who are our children. It's weird, <laughs> isn't it? It's strange to, to have children spoken about in terms like that, it's to have school spoken about in terms like that. Now, this step up for students, now this is already happening. It manages the income-based Florida Tax Credit Scholarship Program. This is government money. Students qualify if they participate in the national free or reduced price lunch program or if they are homeless. So there's money in poverty. If they're in foster or out-of-home care, they also can get one of these scholarships. And these scholarships can offset the transportation cost to an out-of-district public school or for help to, for private school tuition. But this, in 2017-2018, the My Scholar Shop, which is the online direct pay platform, will serve about 115,000 students. 
So that's 10,000 each. So you've got 115 million already that these people are after. The system is going to include a product and service provider rating system, quote, so families can assist each other in making appropriate selections for <laughs> their children. Um, I don't know whether people want any more of this because it's really quite worrying, isn't it? Yes. But the My Scholar Shop platform is described as a partnership with SAP Aruba and Primikati. SAP Aruba is a cloud-based system of business management oh, how with analytics that track inventory, supplier information, performance, sales and create digital invoices. Features of the SAP Arib are available in four pricing tiers. So what happens if you haven't got the money to pay for them or you run out? Your children's education stops, I suppose. All these tiers have got transaction fees based on the volume of annual financial transactions with customers. That's our children and parents. All tiers also have a subscription fee based on the number of documents in annual transactions with customers and the use of the technology. So SAP Arib is designed to help, quote, suppliers connect with profitable customers, among other business services, and these are provided in 190 countries with 3 million companies. So that's SAP Arriba that they're connected with. Now, do you want to hear about Premakati? <laughs> Premakati, sorry, Premakati Incorporated provides services that cut red tape for users of the SAP Arib platform. For example, planning, financial, contract management, legal. According to their website, Premakati has a new line of business, which is a national group purchasing organisation for K-12 to education and for non-profits. So there you are. Big business online. A GPO is designed to secure discounts with select vendors by leveraging the collective purchasing power of its members. Now, Betty DeVos, who we've had quite a lot to say on this program, she is the Minister for Education for Mr Trump. She is his particular appointment, and she's very pro all of this um, business arrangement. She's a businesswoman herself, but she's also um, an evangelical Christian. Jeb Bush (laughs) and the self-proclaimed gurus of disruptive innovation who love ed tech are the darlings of an industry which is er estimated to be worth, listen to this, this education industry is estimated to be worth $365 billion. What the Catholic Church is about is peanuts beside this. <laughs> Eliminating brick and mortar schools as a social, educational and communal asset is part of the new global education reform mu- movement. This is what they're about. And it's aided by much talk about the emerging gig or jobless economy where a major function of brick and mortar schools is not needed. So uh, this is the plan for the future of our children. Uh, May I suggest that we have to start fighting it now by promoting and defending our public education system. But that's enough 
for this week. We live in interesting times and we uh, need to also invite our listeners to keep 3CR on the air and now is the time to subscribe. So, dogs listeners, we have to raise our subscriptions this year and I'll be talking to some of our members about this. And it's very reasonable. It's uh, only $35 for unwaged people. People who are waged, it's $75. And if you're a, a group, uh, you can get a solidarity membership at $150. And there's lots of little benefits you get along with your subscription, um, but you'll get a list of those, like there's little discounts and stuff at shops around the place. But um, the biggest thing is you'll own a piece of public media. This is your voice and you're keeping it on air. Yes, only 3CR will have the dogs program and it's only here that you'll hear the latest in educational uh, developments. Our time has run out. We haven't done all that we, we plan to do. If you want to find out more about the dogs, go to our website at www.adogs.info. But it's bye for now. Want to defend government schools? We are the dogs, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the Dogs Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State College. schools are great. Harkaway Primary great School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really school. concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly uh, assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that he's actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a positive great relationships with each other, with teachers, and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast, and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools.
killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe. What they can never kill. On to organize, went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your hill. It's there you find. Says he.